the goal is this, you're gonna take care of yourself. You're gonna have a life in three years that justifies its suffering. One of the things that I've outlined in 12 Rules for Life is, is a theory of meaning. Because meaning, as far as I'm concerned, that sense of meaningful engagement is the antidote to malevolence and suffering, essentially. Because you want to have a life that's so engaging that you think, despite the fact that I'm limited and that we're mortal and that life is tragedy and there's evil in the world, despite all that, this is worth doing. Life is suffering and betrayal in, in, in many senses of the world. But you can adopt a way of traversing through life that is more powerful than the tragedy and the malevolence. Your best bet is to be dancing on your feet and ready for it. Pay attention and be awake. Have you ever asked yourself why you keep doing what you're doing? Why you keep fighting? Why you keep getting up in the morning and going to work? What's the point of it all? Is it worth it? If you're someone struggling with eye floaters, it's possible you deal with these questions more than most do. Because it's normal to want to search for a clear meaning in your life. It's not normal to not see clearly. It's not normal to dread going outside. It's not normal to wear sunglasses on a rainy day. It's not normal to not want to go to the beach or enjoy a walk or a picnic outside. There's nothing about this that is normal. And yet it persists. But then again, you're not normal either. It is not normal to get involved in a movement like this. It is not normal to fight something that doctors tell you has no cure. It is not normal to keep hope after so many failures. And yet you persist. Do you know what that means? It means that in a fight against these small yet powerful floating enemies, we are a formidable opponent. It means we can do this. It means we have a real chance. It means that our fight means something. It's important to be reminded of that sometimes. It's easy to forget, even for me. I was lucky enough to have had something in my life that made me forget I had eye floaters, that made me stop caring, that made me truly happy. Then I lost it. And losing it made me feel something almost worse than the worst day of having floaters, which is, at the very least, interesting. I felt a joy more intense than my best days without eye floaters and I felt a pain more intense than my worst day with them. What does that mean? Floaters don't have to dominate our life. There is more to life than just what we see because there is so much out there left to feel, to hear, and to experience. We just have to try and take comfort knowing that while sometimes we need to put the focus on ourselves for a while, there are people out there working every day to solve our problem. One of those people is Dr. Tassignon. You may have seen her name pop up often in the forums regarding her research and development of the femtosecond laser, a technology that is proposed to be the safest and most effective treatment yet for our problem. If that is true, there may be even more reasons for optimism than we ever knew. Dr. Tassignon was kind enough to agree to come on our program and tell us more about her findings. This has been the most anticipated episode we have had so far. So it is my pleasure to play that conversation for you now. Enjoy. All right. Well, uh, well, welcome, Dr. Tassignong. How are you doing today? I'm fine. Thank you. I hear you're... here at the American Academy. Yeah? It's American Academy running now in Chicago. And uh, it's uh, running till Wednesday. So we have a couple of days to go. That's awesome. So what's the what? What are you doing there in Chicago exactly? It's the American Academy of Ophthalmology, the annual meeting of the American Academy of Ophthalmology. Oh, that's really interesting. Okay, so there must be a lot of ophthalmologists there. Is have you seen a lot, a lot of ophthalmologists? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It attracts a lot of people, 
it's uh, most probably over the 20,000, I guess. Huh? I suppose I don't know. I have no idea how many people wow. are here. But it's not only ophthalmologists. The 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 people um, running uh, hospitals are also meeting here. The industry is meeting here. So it's a, a really a lot of people. Wow. Okay. Has there been any discussion about you know eye floaters or anything regarding that? that, that oh, area? Not that, not that I know. Yeah, well, you know, anyway, you have only so many hours per day, so you have to choose a little bit what you what you have to do. Also, I have my own commitments here and my own presentations here, and that is, of course, uh, one of the limiting factors that you are not looking at all the different uh, uh, talks, but uh, I suppose that there are, there were also the the company Alex is also here with the floaters, but the company Alex is focusing now more on the treatment of the of the uh, retina uh, in case of macular degeneration. Gotcha. That's a little bit the, the the area they are focusing on. Okay, well that's okay. Well that we'll we'll follow up uh, we'll follow up with you a little bit more on that um, as time goes on. Then, um, have you run into Doctor Sabog there by chance? Is he attending? Who? Doctor Jerry Sabog. Probably yes, but I didn't meet him yet. That's correct. No, I didn't meet him yet. Okay. But he, you know, when I am in the meeting, I'm more in the anterior segment, and he's more in the posterior segment. Ah. And then that means that, uh, yeah, in order to meet each other, you have to change the. Well, you have to 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 move from one ale of the building to another ale, so you mm-hmm. have the east, west, south. Uh, uh, south. Uh, well, I don't know what I said already, but you yeah, know, the four, the four, the four, um, uh, 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 yeah, the four yeah. areas, and that uh, that sometimes it's quite it's a, it's a huge huge convention center. Wow, it sounds like so it. It takes, it takes time, but it could be that we still can could meet. It's possible. Yeah. Well, we'll ask you a little bit more about that later because it seems like what you guys are doing, obviously, uh, there's a lot of uh, intersecting areas of your work, but uh, we'll talk about that uh, a little bit later. Um, yeah. Obviously, we want to talk about the technology that you've been promoting, the femtosecond laser, but before we get into that, um, I always like to get a little bit more personal at the beginning and learn about you. Um, so you're at this ophthalmology conference, so you you are an ophthalmologist yourself, correct? Yes, 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 of course. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Can you... Can you tell us a little bit about uh, how long you've been doing this and what uh, motivated you to get into this field in the first place? Uh, in ophthalmology, well, yeah. In fact, I like very much the surgical aspect of ophthalmology. I started in a posterior segment, and that's one of the reasons why I am also interested in floaters. And then uh, I moved from the posterior segment to the anterior segment when I moved from Brussels to Antwerp, where I became chief of the department. And in Antwerp, I, had, I, I tried to, to build up the department in order to increase the number of staff members, increase the number of fellows that we, we could, uh, we could um, educate. And then uh, so now that term as chief of department, my mandate ended uh, last year. And now I continue to do ophthalmology, ophthalmic surgery, also uh, other, other activities and, and also collaboration with the industry. So this is, uh, and of course, also I'm pre- now I'm also president of the Academia of Ophthalmologia Internationalis, which is a, a society of uh, that you can become member on invitation, and uh, it's uh, all academicians that are there and uh, are members, and it's only globally, it's, it's a global organization. And we have uh, only 83 members, so it is a quite select group. Mm. But uh, it's, it's a very nice group, and uh, we are looking. We are also connected to the ICO, International Council of Ophthalmology, and that International Council of Ophthalmology organizes the World Congress of Ophthalmology. So the, wow. the World Ophthalmological Congress, it's called in fact the WOC. And that's a biannual uh, meeting, and that will run in uh, in South Africa in 2020, which mm. is quite exciting because that's also the end of the program Vision 2020 of the WHO that try to avoid that that try to get rid of the blindness, avoidable blindness, so that the patients who can be treated are treated. 
this is a, that was a huge program that started 20 years ago, and so now it ends that program in 2020. And we will have in, in South Africa, we have a little bit an overview of the effect of that program. Did it have an effect uh, uh, or not? Uh, it's, it's challenging because, you know, in the meantime, the uh, standard of living increases everywhere. So it's, uh, right. it's uh, quite, quite uh, yeah, that means that you, you have better you have uh, be- better uh, evaluations of the number of people who who, sh- who could eventually benefit of a surgery, while if you have a low standard of living, yet the people die before they can be treated. And that's, that's, that's an, an, an all different perspective. Huh? Yeah. Well, it sounds like there's a... So that means that now the standard of living being in, uh, increasing, that means that more people need treatment, uh, and but that means that in fact that you do not feel the difference and the effort that has been t- that has been uh, 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 given to the, uh, the treatment of blindness of prevention of blindness in the world of treatable blindness I mean huh? yeah yeah very interesting very interesting uh, uh, conclusions I uh, well it's not really conclusions because it's not finished yet right. but already now they are trying to to understand what happens and what are the reflecting on the on, on the eventual results. Yeah. Well, that is uh, some really exciting stuff going on, it sounds like. You're keeping yourself pretty busy, yeah, too, yeah, huh? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So many, yeah, 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 yeah. Many, many interesting things are going on. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, that's great. Well, um, yeah, keep us informed of that. Hopefully, we can, you know, keep on talking even after this podcast, and if there's anything we can do to help with those things or things that uh, they have to offer that we can learn uh, we want to get as involved as uh, we want. We want to get as involved as possible in helping to increase people's quality of life when it comes to their vision. So, um, yeah, we we appreciate uh, everything that's yeah. going on. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, one thing that you have been uh, pioneering um, is a new technology called the femtosecond laser. Correct? No, 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 no. The femtosecond laser. I have not been involved in that development, but the use of the applications of the femtosecond laser. Uh, I, I want. I would like to to apply it or to use it in uh, in in, in uh, eventually to treat floaters. Uh, but in order to treat the floaters, you have first of all to define what are the kinds of floaters that are existing. And there is really the, now there is thanks to the OCT there is a, 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 a very important move going on now that we better understand the interface. Uh, at the level of the backside of the eye. So between the uh, the retina and between the vitreous, you have there also interfaces and you have also special anatomy there. And this is only now we can visualize that. And this gives you much better perspective of patients, young adults who complain about floaters. That is most probably because that area that is close to the macula is changing in volume, changing in shape due to aging of the vitreous. And then you have, uh, you have eventually the uh, debris or whatever that are coming, that are connected to, to, these, uh, to these bursa. And then I don't know whether you are aware about it, but very close to the retina and to the macula, the central part of the retina, you have a bursa, that is a bursa premacularis, that was described by Worst and given the name by Worst. And then you have also the bursa in front of the optic nerve, that is the bursa of Martigiani, and that was described already in, in the 19th century. Mm-hmm. But, uh, while the bursa premacularis was only described in the, in the 20th century. So you see that there is uh, that that it was much more difficult to find that out than the bursa than than the prepapillary bursa. Uh, why did we know about the prepapillary bursa? Because you had congenital malformations of that canal that connects the optic nerve with the lens, and that is the reason why it was described already uh, earlier. Uh, now the bursa premacularis was absolutely not known until the twentieth century. And this is quite amazing, uh, but also now we can visualize that on OCT images because the quality of the OCTs are also better, improving. And so that, of course, I will, I'm sure that will reveal certainty regarding the typical classification of floaters 
that are uh, expressed, that are present in the young adult people. And it's more specifically people, young adults that are in late 20s, 20 age and between the, 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 the late 20s and between the 40 age, the 40 years of age, which mm-hmm. in fact an, uh, also an, an age where the vitreous changes in, uh, in, his, uh, in his viscosity. So that is in fact the quality of the vitreous changes then, and that is most probably the reason why they have some more complaints about, uh, about floaters located very close to the retina. They see typically as dark spots or, 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 or rots, or sometimes they have, they have several different shapes, but they are very well defined and quite dark because they project on the retina and they are so close to the retina that they perceive it as very dark elements. Uh, while floaters that are located more in mid features, they will be perceived as something that is passing by. Sometimes it stops and it's obliterating the visual axis. The reason and causing, of course, um, blurring of the vision, but it will give you, it is an, an, a nuisance, but it is not so dark, dark, dark. They can see through it. They can try to, to, to by changing the gaze of the, of the eyes, they can try to, 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 uh, to move it uh, uh, out of the visual axis, but it comes back and it comes back based on the viscosity of the vitreous. So if you have a high viscosity, it will take longer time than if you have a watery uh, structure, then it comes very quickly back in your visual axis. Right. So I think that this is all bet- better and better. So we start to know it much better. And in fact, the classification, uh, the rough classification of the floaters is getting now better understood, for sure. Thanks to the new imaging, better imaging, and I, I'm sure that we will have better progress in the, in the near future. So this is, as such, a very interesting topic of research, is to try to find out how that bursa premacularis is changing with time in young children, in adults, in young adults, and then in the people who, who complain of floaters. Okay, so... Uh, that's good for, for, for those of us who, uh, you know, are in that age range that, you know, mostly yeah. we're told that, you know, there's nothing that we can, there's nothing that can be done. So can you tell us specifically for those who are not familiar with not just the femtosecond laser, but how you would like to apply it? Tell us how you would like to use well, this technology yeah, for is, those kinds of yeah. patients. So for those, for this category of the patients up till now, we only have the vitrectomy that works. That is, that Correct. is standard of care. Uh, you have to explain with the patients the pros and the cons of the vitrectomy. And, uh, in, but most of the patients after vitrectomy, if you do it very carefully, they are absolutely very fine. You have, of course, also to say to the patients that if you remove the vitreous very, very completely, uh, also behind the lens, then the patients will most probably develop cataract uh, quite quickly. That means the years after surgery. If you leave the vitreous, the anterior vitreous, and you don't touch the anterior anatomy of the vitreous, then I think it protects for the uh, cataract from secondary cataract formation. And then it's not necessary that the patient will develop cataract. But of course, that is all those things. That means that we, in fact, we will have to make some studies in order to, to, to um, uh, define all the parameters that might influence the outcome of those patients to, 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 to make that clear and to, to start studies. So this is all things that needs money. There is no, no, not so much companies that are interested. So that means that it must be an. Uh, and uh, university-driven research, and that's, of course, yeah, you need money to do that because you need clinical nurses to, to do that, you need forms, you need a lot of, yeah, you know, everything. All clinical studies are uh, extremely um, well-regulated nowadays in Europe, in the States, in Asia, is starting as well, even in India, not yet in, in Africa, but that's uh, that's uh, that's another that's another issue. But that means that yeah, it's it's uh, there are still there are still issues, still research that has to be done by the universities themselves, and that is uh, that that is a fact. 
Sure. Okay. Well, well, yeah, that's, that's definitely helpful information and we definitely need to continue research. Uh, one thing that we were trying to do for our community is to educate them about new possibilities. Uh, vitrectomy is something that a lot of people know about because it's like you said, been one of the only options. The femtosecond laser is something that, uh, not, there's not as much education on. Um, there's not as much uh, knowledge on how that works. We would love if you could give us a quick explanation of what is a femtosecond laser and how do you intend to use it? Well, compared to the YAC laser, that is the current state of the art for, for the floaters, uh, with the femtosecond laser, you could do more a volumetric approach, while with the YAC laser, it's just a point-by-point treatment. So you can, with, the, with the, the idea of the femtosecond laser approach, is to define with the new technologies that are available nowadays, the OCT, is to define a volume, a cylindrical volume, uh, in order that that you can treat within that space, within that area, you could treat and uh, you you can liquefy that that whole volume, and by tr- by liquefying the whole volume, you also cut the floaters that are present in that area. You cut them also in pieces, in such small pieces that they will not be perceived anymore by the patients. It's not uh, it's not. Uh, uh, visible by the optically visible for the for the eye and not obligate certainly not annoying the quality of the image as much as the as the big floaters that we currently have now would this work even with extremely small or somewhat translucent floaters well no that will yeah maybe yes but you know that we do not know but but i don't think that the translucent floaters that they are very much you know, the floaters that are really annoying for the patients are the ones that are uh, an, uh, a kind of the, the ring of white, right. for example. This when, when you have the Martigiani space that comes loose, there is the attachment of that, of that Martigiani space is in fact the attachment on the around, surrounding the optic nerve is the ring of white. That is the ring of white. Mm-hmm. And this is then coming loose from the... Uh, from the optic nerve, and then if it is not coming loose together with the bursa prematicularis, for example, it will stay stay somewhere in an area that is in the intermediate between the macula and between the optic nerve, and it will annoy the patient. So what you would what you could promote at that time is to try to treat with the femtosecond laser, liquefy the vitreous, so that the that the detachment of the Two bursas, the bursas premacularis and prepapillaris, will be uh, will be promoted, and then it will come in the midfitus where it is less likely to annoy the patient that that dramatically. But eventually, if it is possible, you could also treat it, of course, and cut it in little pieces. This is also an option. No? So don't ask too much. What will be the, the, the or, or the, up till now? Let us let us say it another way. I cannot tell you up till now what can be the expectations of the patients because we have to start the the, the still to start the the, uh, the experiments. We now know that with by using femtosecond laser we can cut those vitreous floaters. That is done in vitro, but we are not at a stage to start it yet in in uh, in, in patients. And I told you uh, the last time that we had conversation, I told you that we were working on other patents in collaboration with the Ghent University, where they would use particles, very small particles that can be re- that that will be um, uh, attracted by the collagen fibers of the vitreous. They stay there until they are excited by femtosecond laser. So you can that means that you can redo the treatment. Uh, a couple of times, but by using an other mechanism, a mechanism of particles that can be excited and that can be uh, that will then explode, and by exploding they will um, destroy flo- the vitreous floaters as well. So that's also something that Jerry Sebak is also informed about, and he knows also about that project. Wow. Now I think that the uh, this is also nice project it is also possible to do so we will have to know what will work best and uh, these are of course other types of research that can be done so there are two 
two branches in that research project is that you have to know a little bit better about the normal anatomy and new technology new imaging technology will allow us to better define those patients and then it's all, of course in parallel with that we have to work on the uh, the effect of all the different approaches that are now yeah, in, in preparation and that we have to first to look in vitro before we can look in vivo in the patient's applications what will be the best approach. The, the uh, big advantage of the femtosecond laser if, with or without particles is that it will reduce tremendously the energy released in the eye. Versus the YAG laser, which can be very powerful. Compared to YAG laser, yeah. yes, compared to the YAG laser. And this is also a big advantage. Because with the YAG laser, we have to stop until we have delivered, for example, a certain amount of, uh, of energy, and we have to stop in order to the eye should recover and not too damage to have too high energy. And then you, you, can, you can plan the patients for a second, um, a, a second treatment uh, for example, I do it typically two months after that because I want to, I want to wait until the effect of the of the vitreous uh, of the treatment with the YAC laser on the vitreous can be expressed optimally. Now, what do you think about liquefying the vitreous of um, of a of a younger patient? Is there any long term ramifications that can come from that? Typically, the, the, whether it's YAC laser or whether it's femtosecond laser, that will be the result. It is liquefaction. So, and what is liquefaction? That's aging. So, in fact, with the with the laser, you mimic aging. Is there? I mean, what's the long term effects of that? Is it going to be? Is that totally okay, or is there anything that can come from that years after that process happens? In fact, what we know is that the detachment of the posterior hyaluronic is an aging process that that prevents other pathologies at the level of the macula. So it is a, it is a relatively beneficial effect, but it has its annoyances, which is, for example, the floaters, or and and that is that is. But it's it's not that all patients uh, complain about that. You have indeed you have patients that that uh, everything depends on the density of the floater. If the floater is really very dense, then it will, it will, pass, it, it will be annoyed. It, the patients will be annoyed about that. If it is not very dense, they can cope with it. Gotcha, yeah. Um, do you have any other uh, partners that you're working with to try to um, promote the use of the femtosecond laser on, on humans? partners don't worry about that you have them immediately as soon as the uh, as the uh, uh, as the results of the femtosecond laser are, are are there that that uh, that the studies are positive and what we also need to to have is as as soon as we have a company that is also interested so we have already contacted a couple of companies and they say yes they are interested but it's not yet a confirmation until now so that means that we need to continue to uh, to do the. We, we, of course, we cannot offer them yet. You know, industry is uh, they they come they they play a role as soon as the in vitro job has been done and is con and is conclusive. Then the industry will be absolutely interested, and that is in fact the the step that we have to work in. So I think that now we have the trilogy where we have the collaboration between Sebac, between Ghent and between Antwerp, and then we will we will progress. That's I think that's all, that's a good team. That's already yeah. very good. No, that sounds like it for sure. So uh, so help me understand. So what what is the next? Um, what's the next? You know, what's the next step that you're uh, so looking to accomplish right now? Yeah, we have just finished the public. Well, the, the the writing of the of the patent it has been submitted, and now the the, the next step will be that we the, the group of Gens will publish the results that they had uh, with their experiments that they did, and that will be published then submitted very soon. I think we will meet each other. Uh, um, the meeting is not yet set, but we will meet each other in the in the coming weeks. 
and then uh, we continue to discuss what is the plan and how we collaborate also with uh, with the US. And uh, but I think it is a it's a, an excellent asset to have also Jerry Sebach in the in the team. Absolutely, for sure. And um, you might have mentioned and this. You know, Sorry that I interrupt you. There are many people who are interested in treating floaters. Many, many people are interested. Of course, the company Alex, for example, they have their own laser with a YAC laser. They are not going to be interested to to develop another laser now because they first want to focus on their laser. They have a number of page, a number of ophthalmologists who have already bought that laser, typically for the floaters, and then they will see the, the, the results of it. And then, uh, and then they have to decide whether they would like to invest in that kind of research. But at that time, we will have to come together with the team that we are, Seba, Gent, and myself, so that we can contact them and eventually speak, are you interested to develop femtosecond laser? But there are other femtosecond laser companies. There is also a company in Germany, and that is the Royak. I don't know if you know that company. It's the R-O-W-Y-A-K. And they are also working on the femtosecond laser in the floaters. So that may be another company that we have to contact. Uh, and that may be maybe an even better option than, 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 for example, the Alex company. So it seems like there's a little bit more work and research being done in this area than we might have yeah, previously yeah, yeah. known. I, yeah, it's, you know, it, that's always certainly in new developments. It's not something that you can just launch and just start with. No, 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 no. It's, it's a long way to go. It's a long way to go. So if you had to estimate, if you had to give your best um, guess... How long do you think it would take um, under ideal circumstances to get the femtosecond laser on the market for people to to use? Uh, the best guess, our, I think, yeah, before everything is approved, that will be a five-year program. Huh? Yeah. But as long as you can already, you, you can treat the patients, we have options already, as long as you have a better understanding of the classification, this is very important. When I see the patients that I, I, I see in the clinic and I explain them everything, I can explain all their complaints, yeah, then they feel, they feel and, and if it is, for example, most of the, 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 the people who complain most, are the people who are young, the, 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 the range of the age that I told you, so between end of the 20s and uh, a little bit before the 40s. These are the, the guys that are mainly guys, mainly men, uh, but here and there also women, and they have really the floaters that are located very closely to the, to the retina. If we have now the machines that we can explain them, look, this is what causes your complaint, then up till now we have a good option. And that means that we will eventually can do studies also on vitrectomies and the outcome of vitrectomies in case of those floaters. We can see see them now. Already that is a good perspective for those patients. Right. Quite, quite a lot of people, they say, you know, it's not an indication. And for us, it's, uh, for example, for me, it is an indication because I understand the, the, the anatomy and I understand the, the, the complaints of the patients. But in, it's officially in publications, if you look at all the publications that has been uh, uh, published up till now, not so many have been published so clearly to explain what are those floaters that are so close to the uh, to the to the retina and 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 uh, of which the the patients are complaining so badly. So this is the next step that it, that will that we have to do is really to prove to the uh, to the the ophthalmological world that we now can make the right diagnosis. And then comes the t- treatment, and the treatment options will be vitrectomy, which is a standard, and then you will have to compare with YAC laser, for example, and eventually with femtosecond laser, because YAC laser has also been used. No clinical trials have been done up till now. It has never been studied in that way that you can really do a, a clinical study on that, and that is a little bit because it is out of the reimbursement uh, range of the uh, of the social securities in most countries, 
So that means it is more a private, uh, a private uh, uh, application, private uh, uh, in private settings that it is used. But that is not. Yeah, that means that scientifically, the government regarding reimbursement, they have no clue whether it works yes or no. See? And this is what we have to do. So this is really what we will have to do with the society, international society of floaters, is that we once will have to sit down together and say, what are we going to do now? We have to do studies. What parameters are we going to study? What is the in what, so that so that then you know it's not only a kind of shooting in the dark, but it is really shooting in purposely, and that we have defined which are the patients that are uh, really good indications, and then you can compare the results. What is the outcome? How many patients are happy after, for example, vitrectomy, after yak laser? after femtosecond laser and then you can you you then we will have a real improvement in understanding outcome and applications of course gotcha based on the classification and i always put i, I always uh, insist on that the classification the correct classification of the patient is absolutely important that's important yeah and it sounds like there's a little bit more coming out to be able to help you do that and that will help you determine the different types of options you can have for them in the future. Yeah, I understand. So, um, but yeah, we have to work it out, and that is not so easy. So we yeah. will have to find, uh, we will have to find collabora collaborations, and then, of course, also have to find the money to do the studies. So, speaking of that, is there anything that we, our audience, our organization, can do to help with this effort? Well, in fact, you know what is absolutely important, and uh, the, the, what what is certainly something that uh, the, the the decision makers uh, pay attention to is that you have, for example, patient societies or patient associations, so that they are that they that they are uh, that they form a pressure group to the to the authorities to say, you know. Pay attention to that. Give money to that because we want to be treated, and that is very important. So, patient group now is certainly in Europe, but also in the states. I have heard from the FDA representative here is that they always want to have in the in order to decide which project can be supported and sponsored by the by the the grants. Uh, that that is that they need also to have a patient group so that they have an idea how many do complain uh, why what, what are their arguments what is their influence in their life etc etc so that this is something that also should be done absolutely and I don't know whether there is a, a, a representative patient group or patient association of people, I know that you have a lot of uh, of in the websites. There are patients who complain and who explain and and who put their experiences on the website. But that's not enough. It is not really an association, and that is uh, that is if that could be realized, this is also something that would be a step forward for us in order to 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 use them as a pressure group in uh, when we apply uh, the, for funding. That's really interesting. No, that's very helpful because uh, here at the iFloaters Action Movement, that's what we want to create. You know, we, we it's very important to be able to bring people together online, but that's only one aspect of it. We actually have to create change, and the only way to do that is to talk to the people who have the the, the keys to unlock the doors that we need to open to be able to actually, you know, research these things, get the money that we need, um, you know, get this, you know, support, the equipment, whatever it is that, that's needed to be able to move this forward. It's not just going to be done online. It's going to be done in boardrooms. It's going to be done with checkbooks. So um, that's what we're trying to get to as well. So we, we appreciate your yeah, 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 yeah. emphasis no, on that. Very good. Of course. Yeah, yeah, no, no, that's very good. And that's, of course, very important to have also that. You, have, you need to have to, to have a little bit of everything in order to in order to and and you know the the scientific part of the of the university let us say of the research part is all always it's not the most costly part that's not the most costly part but you need to, to you, you need people who are interested in the 
topic and wants to do the research as well. And this is uh, this is also money that we have to find. And this is typically uh, something like approximately fifty thousand euro or sixty thousand euro per year. Huh? Yeah, and which seems which seems reasonable. You see the amount of money that other causes, uh, other um, health issues are able to raise. It seems like that's something that we should be able to do for something yeah. that can be such a dramatic effect on yeah, somebody's yeah, quality of life. And, 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 uh, yeah, and that on a reliable way. So that means that the people will continue to do it for three consecutive years because typically uh, a, a study that is, uh, that is certainly of high value uh, needs something like three to four years before it, it gets uh, results. No? Right. Okay. Well, that is very helpful for us to know, not just about the femtosecond laser, that technology, but also uh, what we need to do to um, keep this moving forward yeah. at a good pace. And some knowledge also about some other things that are going on in the background that seems like that um, you can't fully discuss yet, but just it's good to know that there seems to be more research, more attention going here than we knew, but there obviously is a lot more that's still needed to make sure that we can do this yeah, yeah. at the very least at a, in a quicker timeline. Um, yeah, so, absolutely, absolutely. Absolutely. You know, I hate... I hate the fact that you, you get patients who comes to you and who said, you know, I have visited my ophthalmologist and he said, you know, you have to live with it. That is something that we we also as ophthalmologists will have to 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 organize sessions during meetings in order to say, please don't say that again to your patients. But try to understand yourself where the floaters are located. And that is something that is absolutely also, that, that's also a message for us that we have to do. And we have now the technology that comes up in order to locate exactly the complaints of the patients. And that is, of course, quite important as well. Huh? Uh, you, speaking from experience, yes, it is very important to have the... Well, that's education. <laughs> that's our part. That's our role as educator. That's our role to organized in meetings for example uh yeah we will have meetings uh, world congresses in, uh, in in south africa for example where this can be also done in different several uh, uh, meetings uh, important meetings that you can present the uh, new aspects new clinical diagnosis and thanks to the new imaging devices that we have that we can better explain to the patient you your floaters and your complaints I can explain them because they are located here. And you can have that and that and that option currently for treatment. You take it or you leave it. That's it. Huh? That is, that's it. But we are working on other devices. And we try also, of course, to get other aspects of treatment. And that, but that you cannot benefit yet, of course. But we can already offer to the patient something. And it's not in, you don't have to pin to, you, you, you know, I, we have to pay attention not to pin the attention too much on femtosecond laser because we, we now already have something to, to give to our patients and that is the right diagnosis, which is often the case that the patients do not really know where their floaters are located. It's just a black box for them. They don't understand what happens, and they don't feel understood by their ophthalmologist, and then they are lost, of course. And so, that we have also to, to try to, to, to work on that. So I have one last question for you, then, based on everything that you've said. If someone is struggling with, very, with a very extreme case of floaters right now that are very much affecting their quality of life, and they just yeah. want relief as soon as possible, would you suggest that they look at current options or would you suggest that they wait just a little bit longer for what might be coming in the future no no look i think we know exactly now we know that uh, with the current vitrectomies uh if you if you if you speak about that to top ophthalmologists the leaders in the of of the of of the um international meetings they always say what are they speaking about Vit vitrectomy safe huh but of course, in the hands of those people, and that is a little bit a problem. And you you have to yeah you have to go to a center that is used to do vitrectomies, that they they, they, they know what it is about and etc etc. Et and and yeah, I know exactly which are the centers now that are absolutely excellent centers where you can go with your complaints. But yeah, we cannot do that, and we cannot publish that. And this is. Uh, this is uh, this is not ethical. So we have to, yeah, we have to remain silent. But for the patient, but it is already 
quite important to tell the patients, go to a center that is well known in, in vitrectomy and that they master vitrectomy very well. Because, you know, the, those patients who have floaters, they have healthy eyes. So when you, you, when you do something, when you do a surgery, they have to know that what are their chances to have something, to have complications. And, and that is something that we have, have to do as well. So I think that also the study, multicenter study on vitrectomy for floaters is also worthwhile to start. Huh? Gotcha. Oh, that should be done, huh? That is also something that has to be done. Huh? But I think that, that everything will come because I, I, I'm very happy also to have Sebak in our team now because he's more in, in the area. I'm not so much involved in the international society meeting, not anymore because I, I do more and more the anterior segment but uh, and I abandoned a little bit the posterior segment, but not completely. <laughs> Still doing the yeah. easy cases of vitrectomies and also, for example, vitrectomy for floaters. I don't mind to do that. And you can now beautifully see when you do, based on the imaging, I changed my technique of vitrectomy, and now you beautifully can see how you can detach all those anatomical elements that are described and that are seen on OCT. So really now this 21st century, the innovation is, is, is quite important. Eh? It's a real step forward in the diagnosis and in also the treatment options. And it might be that if your vitrectomy are so safe, yeah, that you even do not need to do yak laser or to go to, to, to look and to do all that research. Um, I mean, to, to apply from in vitro or to, to do the research from in vitro to in vivo, if you have a technique that is absolutely brilliant. Eh? Right. Because that vitrectomy can also be improved. Eh? Well, um... and this is all very complex and it's therefore it's very, very difficult to say and also to do. To, to to focus only on one technique. No, no, you always have to look at all the different techniques currently available and all the pathways and all those drugs. Well, they can end up maybe maybe uh, in 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 the future we will know much better about it. But that's I say I that's I I think important is to have patient association. Second, to have clinical trials that are going on in order to better know about the right diagnosis and the outcomes of the current approach. Right. Because oh. if you have the outcome in well, so, so multi-center studies, and that you have to know, maybe that is not fam you are not familiar with that, is conducted in centers that are well known. You can trust them, they, 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 they master the technique very well. So that is in fact the reason why if they come out with an outcome, that means that those who start the, the technique in private settings or whatever, they, 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 they should end up with the same outcome than the one that has been uh, studied. You see, that's the benchmark then. Right. And that is then, and then makes then then it is more safer to the of to the for the patient to go to the to to more ophthalmologists. Not not only those top centers, but also uh, when it is well well studied it is well the outcomes are, are, are fine we, we know what are the what are the outcomes then you can trust more ophthalmologists i should say right okay patient as well okay well uh dr tassignon and am i saying am i saying your name correctly yeah yeah it's tassignon tassignon okay tassignon, yeah yeah it's a, it's French name is difficult to pronounce. Okay, perfect. I'll, I'll say it. I'll say it better next time. But uh, yeah. I listen. We thank you very, very much for coming on today and giving us your time. I know no, you're, you're very, very busy, and uh, we really appreciate you coming on. And hopefully, we can continue this uh, relationship going forward. We'd love to talk more and get yeah. more specific about the things that we can do to help you out and yeah. uh, to help uh, grow. Everything, all of this research and all of the uh, potential here, we definitely don't want to let it go to waste. So anything that we can do is the, the more we grow our movement, the more that we can help you guys out. So, um, yeah, we thank you again for coming on today, and uh, we'll talk soon, okay? Okay, okay, yeah. Uh, thank you, thank you, Jonathan, and uh, till later. Bye-bye. Well, thank you, everyone, for listening. I hope you learned something from that conversation. I certainly did. As we've been saying for a while, and as we keep learning more and more as we do more of these conversations, 
there's a lot more research going on than we are aware of. There are people who are working really hard at this. And we might see it only as, you know, two or three options that are available right now or may be available in the future. But I, I don't think that's going to be it. I don't think that's going to be it. It may seem like it's sort of dark at the moment. But there is light at the end of the tunnel. And what's cool about that is that the more you walk towards that light, the bigger it gets. And I promise you guys, if we keep moving forward, we're going to get there. We're going to get there. So keep your hopes up, keep your head up. And in the meantime, feel free to follow us if you aren't already at iFloaters Action Movement. You can find us on Facebook. And if you are listening to this on iTunes, feel free to rate us and uh, leave a little review if you don't mind. If this is something that's been helping you, uh, that definitely helps us a lot as well. Uh, but by being able to rate and review so more people can see it. If you'd like to contact us directly, you can do so at efamcontact at gmail.com. That's E-F-A-M contact at gmail.com. And until next time, keep fighting, keep smiling. Let me show you this. We all live inside a bubble, right? This is our world. We go to church here. We work over here. We go get our coffee over here. We go to this park over here. We usually go over here to, you know, hang out with friends. This is our favorite club. This is our world. This is our favorite spot on the beach. We all live in this bubble. What you got to do to get the life that God wants you to have, you got to put more air in your bubble. You got to blow your bubble up. Expand yourself. Take yourself out your comfort zone. Do not live in your bubble. Put some more air in your bubble. If you stay in your comfort zone, that's where you will fail. You will fail in your comfort zone. Success is not a comfortable procedure. It is a very uncomfortable thing to attempt. So you got to get comfortable being uncomfortable if you ever want to be successful. Start putting some pressure on. Put some pressure on yourself. Get out here and get about it. Look, I'd love to sugarcoat this thing for you. I'd love to tell you, look, you can go out here and get rich, do a couple of things. That ain't, that ain't happening. You got to get real doggish. You got to get downright funky if you want to make it. Now, like I was telling you before, if you want to be ordinary, you ain't even got to listen to me. Just go on about your business. If you think ordinary is cool, ain't no problem. It's some really, really wonderful ordinary people. But if you are sitting in this room and you have extraordinary aspirations, then you're going to have to do extra. You put extra on top of extra, on ordinary and you come up with extraordinary. It's no other way. I'm sorry, but here's the fact. All of you have extraordinary capabilities. All of you. You have to decide if you are willing to do the things to put you in that category.